You can open your Bibles, 2 Samuel 11. When the English Parliament won the um, English Civil War in the 1640s, uh, the Parliament, backed by the majority of Puritans, um, asked their leader, Oliver Cromwell, who was a very godly Puritan, uh, they offered him the crown, and he turned it down, but he said, well, I'll still stay in the seat of influence, and so he was given the title Lord Protector, and during that time, he commissioned a famous artist to paint a portrait of him, and he had a huge skull, and he had various warts on his face, and the artist first did a draft and made him look handsome, and <laughs> Sir Oliver said, no, paint me as I am, warts and all, famous expression. And then he did, and there's, that's a famous painting. Great men in the Bible are painted warts and all. Think about it. Noah got drunk. Uh, Abraham lied about his wife. Jacob lying and cheating his brother and his father. Moses, murder. Peter, denying Jesus. And David, whom we look at tonight. The sad story of David and Bathsheba. It was about 100 years ago that the worst scandal in baseball history occurred with the uh, Chicago White Sox taking bribes, and they were then called the Chicago Black Sox. Uh, several of them were convicted, um, fined, and so forth. But the story is that um, this was a discouragement to little boys. It just held these players as great heroes, and so... Um, I forgot the exact circumstance, but some of them were going to court or something. A little boy came up with tears and looked at his favorite baseball player named Joe and said, Say it ain't so, Joe. And Joe just had to hold his head down in shame. We read about David from Bathsheba and we want to say, Say it ain't so, David. But he would have hung his head and said, It is so. The best of men are men at best. And so the great men and women in the Bible, often we hear about some of their big weaknesses. Everybody except Jesus. Nothing wrong with him. So we look at this sad story and then draw some lessons. Now we won't look at each verse, but we'll do a survey. So uh, chapter 10, the previous context, there was war. And uh, remember David was a warrior. Interesting verse um, Chapter 11, verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Now, that's not saying, well, it's time for sport, and our sport is, is battle. No, the history of warfare, spring is a good time to go to battle. Uh, I think Mr. Putin realized that. He was going to war at the end of the winter. But they want to go out when the weather is warm enough. They don't want to go out during winter and then face the snow. But notice it said, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people and so forth. David remained at Jerusalem. He should have been out there with his troops leading him, but he didn't. Um, he should have been there, but he was resting on his laurels, thought, well, you know, I've fought all the battles. I'll let them do it and I'll just send them the orders. He was proud. Okay, here's our first lesson. Idleness is the devil's playground. And David was idle. He wasn't doing what he should do. Leisure opens the door of temptation, and it was already knocking on that door. Be careful when everything's going wrong, folks. Satan may be laying a trap, 
and he could spring it within 24 hours. It says in the book of Proverbs, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. So while he was at home, where he shouldn't have been, there in the palace, verse 2, it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David calls for her. Well, who is that woman? So he's walking around in the evening, kind of looking off in the distance, and gradually the lights are going out. And uh, he can't sleep, so he's kind of just taking a little... You ever do something like that at night? You can't sleep, so you just go for a walk or you read the newspaper or something. And he just happens to see Bathsheba taking a bath nearby. And he lusted for her in his heart. Jesus said, whoever lusts for a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. So it starts in the heart, and then if it's not stopped, it'll go to the body. He should have seen the temptation immediately and done something about it. Uh, Again, you've heard me say this many times. When you see the bad examples in the Bible, say, what should they have done? What should he have done? Instead of gazing and calling for her, he should have said, no, I'm not going to look. Should have remembered Uh, Job's word, uh, I have made a covenant with my eyes, how therefore shall I look upon a woman? He should have seen the temptation and turned away like Joseph did in Egypt when Potiphar's wife grabbed him literally and said, lie with me, and he took off running. David, you should have run. He didn't. Lesson number two, the best time to resist temptation is at the very first opportunity when you hear that first knock on the door, Best time to resist it, nip it in the bud, don't play with it, don't negotiate because it gets harder to resist. Third lesson, David already had a weakness for beautiful women, you remember? He had married several women such as Abigail. And so now his weakness was catching up with him and whatever our weakness is, be very careful. Satan knows what your weakness is too. Maybe a bad temper or something like that. So verses three and four, David sends messengers to bring her here. And they do. Now, these men weren't fools. They knew the score. I'm sure they kind of looked at each other and winked and did like this, like, yeah, we know what's going on. They knew what was about to happen. Here's our next lesson. Don't be like those men. Don't assist somebody in his sin. We shouldn't be the opportunity of tempting somebody, but we shouldn't be the messengers of temptation or going along with them. Again, what should they have done? If David said, go bring her to me, they should have looked at each other and said, no, no, sir. We honor you, but we will not be part of your sin. But they went along with it. Someone said, it's always easy to find someone to assist you to sin, but it's hard to find someone to help you obey God. Think about that. Now, there's some to be said for um, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not a Christian organization. But they do some good, and one of them is that when a person that's a recovering alcoholic feels out urge and he's about to give in, he can phone someone that's been there, done that, and overcome it. And that guy's going to come right over and say, look, I'll go through this with you. Well, where did David, who did David turn to? These soldiers should have said, no, David, look, look let's, let's pray about this. Do you see the implications of what you're about to do? But they didn't. And then, just succinctly, we hear David then committed adultery with her, tells us enough without going into the details. David did wrong. Say it ain't so, David, but he did. There was no excuse. He couldn't say, well, I couldn't help it or uh, something like that. He sinned. Broke one of the Ten Commandments, actually two of them, coveted another man's wife and he committed adultery 
And it's always wrong, even though it's glorified on television, media, whatever, novels, movies. Um, and people make excuse. I've heard people say, well, my spouse and I are separated, so it's okay. Or some of these prison inmates say, my wife is out there cheating because she says, well, I'm in prison and she has the urge and she makes excuses. No, the, God says no. Or people would say, well, we're in love. No, God knows that's lust, not love. It's glorified, and uh, both men and women succumb to this. It was David and Bathsheba. People will call it various things like fooling around or whatever, but God calls it adultery. A little boy asked someone, you know, an adult, I think it was his parents, he said, adult, is that something for adults only? And the parent had to say, well, unfortunately, adults do it, but it's not an adult thing to do. Um... You may remember, some of you, I think most of us are old enough to remember, back in the 1990s, our president, President Clinton, one of the reporters asked him, is a man fit to be elected president if he has committed adultery? And uh, this was when the scandal with Monica Lewinsky was first coming out. But the reporter asked the question, but his editor refused to print the answer. It was a cover-up. But it wasn't just Clinton. What about President Trump? who boasted about this. It's extremely popular and widespread. It's legal in all 50 states, although at one time it was illegal. No longer has to be proved as the legal ground for divorce. God created sexual relations and restricts it within marriage. No jumping the fence. Within marriage, relations are acceptable. Outside, it's never acceptable, nor is it acceptable before marriage. David was married, and so was Bathsheba. So this was double adultery. And you can't say, well, what if she had been single? That, that would have been fornication and kind of reverse adultery. Do you know what the penalty was in the Old Testament that David faced? Stoning. Stoning. Leviticus 20, verse 10. There are those today that wonder, well, what should be the penalty? Perhaps the death penalty, or at least something severe, God looks upon it as a major sin. So David was not a good example to follow as he usually was. Remember, he was a man after God's own heart, but this was an exception and a bad one at that. Question, how could David, who is a man after God's own heart, do this? Answer is simple. We all are liable to succumb, best of men or men at best. We have indwelling sin. Um, what's called concupiscence. It stirs up our desires and uses them for sinful purposes. Christians still sin. So before we say, well, I'd never do what David did. Oh, no, no, any of us could do this. Even the best of Christians can, can, can commit the worst of sins. You, me, all of us can fall like David. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if anyone thinks he stand, let him take heed lest he fall. If anybody says, I would never do that, then you're acting like David, ready for a fall. Too often we fall into a great sin that we never thought we would commit. Years ago, middle of the night, uh, someone in our church, not this one, the one in Texas, phoned me up and he was crying. He didn't tell me what sin, but he said, I never thought that I would do that. There are things we'd think we'd never do. I'm sure David would have said, I'd never do that, but he did. If any man thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. Be on the alert because of indwelling sin. 
back to the story here, commits the, the adultery and then she goes back home and then some time passes, we're not told how much, verse five, and Bathsheba discovers she is pregnant. She's a woman, she knows, and, uh, but she knows it's not her husband Uriah that's the father. He know, she knows he's been off out there at war, noble Uriah. Wonder how he would have felt if he ever heard about his cheating wife. And so um, she knows it's not him that's the father, and she knows it's David. Um, so she tells David, and now they panic. You've seen this in movies and soap operas. They be, uh-oh, people are going to find out. What do we do? Ooh, will they take me off of the throne? I won't be king. What about Bathsheba? She's probably wondering, am I going to be stoned as an adulteress? David, what do we do? They're panicking. And they have to do something because they know that baby's going to come one day. So the news of expecting a baby should have been good news. But now it's not bad news. It's bad news to them. And what do we do? They're not going to arrange some sort of abortion and cover it up. Sin has found them out. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Now they know, uh uh-oh. rest of the chapter is David's attempt at a cover-up. You know, that word was popularized during Nixon and the Watergate scandal, but other scandals, you know, it's a cover-up. It was a cover-up that brought Nixon down. It wasn't breaking into the Watergate Hotel. It was the cover-up when they found out he lied to the American people repeatedly and suborned perjury and all that, that brought him down. So here's David's attempt at a cover-up. He didn't repent. We don't know if he continued committing adultery with Bathsheba, but he covered it up. Listen to what the Bible says. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but who, whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So David calls for his servants, maybe the same ones that brought Bathsheba before. But notice, again, what he didn't do. He didn't call for the court prophet, Nathan, and say, I, I need a preacher. Oh, Pastor, I've sinned greatly. What should I do? Will God ever forgive me? He didn't do that. That tells you he hadn't repented. When a person falls into a big sin and doesn't repent, he won't call for the preacher. Usually, uh, he hasn't repented. But if he repents, he'll want some spiritual advice. So David didn't want help. And so people that don't go to the preacher, people that don't repent, they don't want help They want more of the sin and they want a way to protect themselves and to cover it up. So David's, you know, I've got this idea. Let's get the soldiers in here. Bathsheba, what do you think? They think this will work. So he's hatching this scheme. Here's our next lesson. When you sin big, repent big. If it has big consequences, phone your preacher. Like that man that phoned me in the middle of the night. Uh, Phone the preacher. Phone one of our elders. And then, of course, get in touch with God immediately and don't postpone repentance. Don't prolong the sin or get others involved like David getting these soldiers involved. Okay, I introduce you to you the noble Uriah. Uh, he's called Uriah the Hittite. The Hittites were uh, related to the Canaanites and they were not, not all wiped out during the days of Joshua. Some of them survived even to the time of the New Testament. And so he had converted to uh, the Israelite religion. And here's what made David's deed all the worse. Second Samuel 29, 39, Uriah was one of David's 30 mighty warriors, the best in the country. 
Medal of Honor winner if they had such an honor. And that should have been a warning to David when he was planning this scheme, this cover-up, and said, well, we'll do something and, you know, bring your... He should have said, I can't do that to your right. He's one of my best men. And again, the conscience was sounding, but he didn't listen when a person doesn't repent. He says, I don't want to listen to my conscience. And I don't want to listen to God or a preacher or someone else. Um, thus far, as only David and Bathsheba and these soldiers that knew about this. Uh, how could David not only plan this, but look Uriah in the, in the eye? Because he called in Uriah and gave him, you know, okay, go and do this. But how could he do that? Sin doesn't blush. So he tries plan A. Calls Uriah back from the battle and then sends him home to be with Bathsheba, realizing, okay, a soldier out there come home, you know what he's going to do. That's usually what soldiers do when they come back, soldiers, sailors, whatever. And so then, okay, now, now you go back and maybe he'll forget the time lag and he'll think he's the father when the baby comes and we could all say, hey, you know, hand out the cigars, the baby's been born, Uriah's the father. But uh, he forgets that in the, in the law of Moses, soldiers were forbidden to engage in sex while in battle, and the battle was still going on. And Uriah's probably wondering, why do you send me home and back from the battle and back home? Uriah is righteously naive. Um, there's nothing bad said about him, but if he could have sat down and said, what's going on? Uh, David, Why? But he went along with this because he was a righteous man. And he believed the best of David. Uh, Uriah could have argued that he was home on furlough, but he was too noble to ask for an excuse uh, to go back to the battle, not back home. Okay, here's our next lesson. We should be as noble and upright as Uriah. Uh, he was blameless, of course, not sinless. Nobody's sinless but Jesus. But he, this was a good example instead of David. David and Bathsheba, to use street language, they were playing him for a fool. You ever heard that phrase? And it's like everybody else was finding out except poor old Uriah. He was the patsy. Next lesson, better to be God's friend than the devil's fool. The devil was laughing behind his back. Who were the real fools? Not Uriah. David and Bathsheba, and maybe those soldiers too. Poor Uriah never found out that his wife was cheating on him. So Uriah doesn't go home. And David says, Bathsheba, we got to do something about this. She should have said, my husband is a righteous man. David, we've got to go confess. I can't live with my conscience anymore. No. So plan B is um, he, he, he gets Uriah drunk, calls him into a banquet. Here, have some more, Uriah. This is the best wine Israel. Have some more. Have some more. And, you know, the Bible warns about this in the book of Proverbs. Did you know that? About giving strong drink to somebody. You're assisting him in his sin. Like, you know, giving him liquor, giving him drugs or something like that. And the idea was that when the person is drunk, he has less of a conscience, he has weakened reflexes, lower morality. And maybe you've known people that were drunk that'll do something drunk that'll never do it when they're sober. So David's thinking, I get the guy 
stoned and then he'll, you know, go and do this. But it didn't work. Listen to what I wrote in my notes. Uriah was more righteous drunk than David was sober. But liquor never helps a sinful situation. It's pouring gasoline on the flames. But even then, righteous drunk Uriah did not do what David wanted him to do. I quoted uh, that verse in Proverbs. Here's one in Habakkuk 2.15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to the bottle to make him drunk. Next lesson, sin multiplies until you repent. Now it's not just adultery and not just lying about it. It's getting someone drunk uh, and so on. And it's going to, when we start adding to sin to sin without repentance, it's like adding links to a chain until you finally break the chain and say, I give up, Lord, I confess. I'm going to do what I can to reverse all this. Plan B didn't work, so now David is desperate, so he tries plan C to have Uriah killed. Plotting is murder. And he's probably thinking, I can't do this outright. They'd find out, so I need a way to have him die They can't be traced back to me. That was kind of like what Nixon did. Okay, get the plumbers and the cover-up and get Chuck Colson in here. And you know, I can name a bunch of those uh, crooks back then. Jed Magruder, G. Gordon Liddy, and several of others. It went along with the cover-up. Um, and they said, we'll cover for Nixon. I remember G. Gordon Liddy used to say, I'll take a bullet for him. And I'll die for him. Just tell me when and where. And so here David's saying, okay, um, we'll get someone to go along with plan C. So he calls in Joab. Now remember Mr. Joab was not the best example of a godly person. He was tough, he was mean, but David kind of kept an eye on him and would use him. And so he calls in Joab to be part of this. Here's our next lesson. When you intend on committing a big sin, Satan will always provide the opportunity and assistance. You remember what would later happen with um, Absalom and Amnon and Tamar. Uh, I won't go into the details because of modesty, but Amnon lusted. And, and so one of his friends said, here's what we can do. So Satan will always send someone to help you out in your sin if you don't listen to God and your conscience. So the plan was this. Put Uriah at the front of the battle, on the front line, and then retreat from him. And of course, the Philistines will kill him. Let the enemies do the dirty work. And they'll get the blame. And uh, after all, it's war and people live and die in warfare. And this wasn't saying, um, Joab asked for volunteers to go on a suicide mission. You know, most armies uh, don't allow that. They say suicide missions have to be uh, voluntary. So it wasn't that. It was just was plain murder, even though David didn't do it with his own hands. And so, but look at, this is despicable. Say it ain't so, David, but it is so in the word of God. He sent, he called for Uriah, and then he gave the orders written down in a sealed envelope. You take this to Joab. Sending Uriah of all people with that message, like delivering your own death certificate. But it worked, verse 17. Joab was reluctant to go along with this, but he did. He's the king, and well, people do die. I'm sure Joab was wondering, what's going on here? But he didn't have the guts to to challenge him. David, 
I'm not having any, you want someone to do this, you get someone else to do your dirty work. Not me. But he didn't. Joab is hardly ever a good example. But it worked. So Joab, being the man on the, out there in the battle, goes, he, he, we're going to, okay, so go over there and flank him, and okay, do a charge over here. And okay, Uriah, you take the point. And then when he took the point, he said, to you, okay, everybody else, back up. And there's left him there, and Philistines went after him with their spears and arrows. And noble Uriah dies. Is our next lesson. When we sin big, others suffer the consequences as well. Think about that. Parents, spouses. So Joab sends a report back to David, verses 18 to 21. And so the messenger reads it to David, verses 22 to 25. And David, satisfied. Can you just see him thinking, plan C worked. No one will ever find out. Joab, he's going to, he's not going to say anything. Those soldiers are not going to say anything. They'll know off with your heads. Bathsheba's not going to say anything, so he probably figured we got away with it. Verse 26, uh, Bathsheba goes through the ritual of mourning, but it was a phony put on. Um, She knew about all this going on, so then David takes Bathsheba as a wife, verse 27. But this was one of his marriages that was definitely not blessed by God. You know, God doesn't bless all marriages. You do it by the book, you get God's blessing. You don't, you don't. Imagine it, David stole another man's wife, and I've known men that did that, and um, I'm thinking of one in particular, that if I ever saw him again, I'm going to say, you got a lot of gall to look me in the face. You stole another man's wife, and you know it, and she knows it. In the cover-up, though, David was more afraid of being found out by humans than by God. And that's the way it is with us. But God already knows. God sees under the cover-up and behind the curtains. He knows it. God did see. And David should have known that. Just, but in his non-repentance, he's making rationalizations. Kind of like Adam, covering himself up with fig leaves as if God didn't know what happened. But God did know, so he deceives himself here, like Adam. The chapter ends, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He broke five of the Ten Commandments. He coveted another man's wife, number 10. He committed adultery, number 7. He stole her, number 8. Lied about it, number 9. And he committed murder, number 6. God sees our sins too and he is displeased with them. Now we're no longer under his judicial wrath because we've been justified, but there is a parental displeasure like God had with David and God has with us. He is still holy and very displeased like a parent with disobedient children. So God will do something about it. And he doesn't have to plan plan A, plan B, plan C. God already has something in mind. Okay, here are four final lessons. Number one, When someone we know falls into a big sin, take heed. Take heed from David's example. Peter, Moses, the other ones, famous scandals. And don't gloat over them and say, I'd never do that. This could happen to any one of us. Jesus said, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Remember it says in 1 Peter 5, devil prowls around us. Now he knows he can't get us back, 
but he wants to lure us into temptation. Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So when we see something like this or know someone like this, we should say, that could have been me. I'll take steps that it doesn't happen. Repent before the fact. Number two, David ignored God's warnings. God providentially used Uriah, you know, didn't go along with plan A or plan B. That was, you know, it's like, did they ever teach you this? Either your father teaching you to drive or in driver's education. Uh, what do you do when you're so far away approaching an intersection and it's a flashing yellow light? Slow down and stop. But then the fool said, well, when it's flashing yellow, you hit the gas as quick as you can. That's, you're setting yourself up for a major accident. God uses all sorts of providences to warn us like tonight's message. Heed them, but David didn't heed the warnings of his conscience or his memory of the law of God and setting himself up. Number three, pray for God to keep you from temptation. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Don't play with temptation. One of the Puritans said, he that plays with temptation is tempting the devil to tempt him. Don't play with it. If you give in, don't be surprised if God steps back, removes his, the sense of his presence. Temptations are inevitable, Jesus said, but it's not inevitable that we have to give in to them. Be careful. Be careful of certain temptations in particular because this sin, even though it would be forgiven, would haunt David the rest of his life. Some of us are haunted by sins that we have done in the past. They will haunt us. They could hurt our reputation like David. Word would eventually get out what David did with Bathsheba. And I'm wondering, it wasn't just the old women gossiping about this around Jerusalem, but the men and the boys, everybody said, we thought David was a godly man, the man that killed Goliath. How could he do that? And it hurt it. I'm sure if David walked down the street, people would giggle and laugh. And boys would come up and say, hey, David, you know, and ask him questions. Um, there are consequences to our sins that affect other people. It, it certainly hurt Uriah, and as we'll see in subsequent lessons, this filtered down to David's children. We'll get to that when we get to them. Need to be vigilant and trust in God. Last lesson for tonight, if you have sinned big, repent big. All sins demand immediate repentance, and David perhaps should have confessed it openly to the nation, but he didn't. Big sins demand big repentance. And one of the Puritans said this, the degree of our repentance should match the heinousness of the sin we have done. Now David did later repent when confronted. We'll see that, Lord willing, next week. And he wept and wrote Psalm 51. And so he did repent, but not immediately. Repentance and faith does bring forgiveness. But David delayed the repentance, so he was setting himself up for what? The cover-up, being lid blown, blown off, but also for chastening. David would later repent, but not yet. Sometimes we delay repentance. Recently I read that famous statement by Augustine before his conversion. That's important to remember. Godly mother, and Augustine playing around with immorality. He had a mistress. He had an illegitimate son. And he was in this strange cult called Manichaeanism. 
But his conscience was working on him, and so he prayed, Lord, give me repentance, but not yet. And then later, when he was converted, that haunted his conscience. And so we need to repent as soon as possible. And so these are some serious lessons we can learn from David. And I'm sure God had this in mind when he inspired this in his holy word. God didn't cover it up. He put it in his holy word. So we need to bow before God and beseech him to protect us from all the temptations of the devil, especially the ones that would prey upon our weaknesses, just like David. Let's pray. Father, this could happen to any one of us or other great sins. Any one of us could lose his temper, get a gun and kill someone. Any one of us could beat up on someone, put them in the hospital or even in the grave. Any one of us, O oh Lord, because we're still sinners saved by your grace. Put a hedge around us, protect us from temptation. Protect us from the Bathshebas that didn't keep the curtains drawn. Keep our eyes closed. Keep a watch over our hearts, O oh Lord. And protect us when we sense temptation coming. Keep us humble. And when we give in, give us immediate repentance and forgiveness. Help us to have a heart after God's own heart as David would later repent. In Jesus' name.